Totally Football League show, international break edition, a.k.a. club statement season. Yes, managers are abandoning posts like a mail carrier staring through a letterbox at an angry Rottweiler. Barnsley's arrested development means it's the end for Mr Stendhal, yeah. In South London, Millwall legend Neil Harris opts to leave the Lions Den before there's any chance of a mauling. Elsewhere, Jack off at Sunderland and Jose Goze at Reading. Not to mention vacancies at Southend, Stevenage and Orient that still need filling. Crikey. Hello again. Despite what you've been led to believe, I'm Matt Davis-Adams, suffering from vertigo at the top of the championship. I've got my usual crew of EFL experts alongside me today. First up, he survived Millwall v Leeds on Saturday. Uh, I say survived. Uh, we know him as a gentle soul, but there's something of the thug about his appearance. So I'm sure <laughs> any likely lads en route to the den kept their distance. From Swindon Goal Machine to multi-platform broadcaster par excellence. Hello, Sam Parkin. Good morning, Matt. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good. And with Sam, he was born in Northampton and studied at the Royal College of Music and the London Opera Centre. He's a regular guest at London's Royal Opera. His recordings include The Triumph of Beauty and Deceit for Largo, Le Troyen, Carmen and Sophie's Choice for Optus Arte DVD slash Blu-ray. Music Web International described his baritone performance in Maharal as suitably dominant in both voice and stature, but we glimpse his vulnerability when the forces of nature get out of hand. Let's hear him in action now. It's not me, it's not that I'm under pressure. The contract Never a true word spoken, right, <laughs> Absolutely. I am the king of the deep voice. <laughs> and what are the odds he's actually showed up for work today? Still somewhat comatose after sitting through Bolton v Blackpool on Monday night. From William Hill, it's Joe Crilly. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back. Right then, on we crack to the championship. If you like managerial chat, you're in for a treat. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Headlines from the top flight brackets of the EFL, close brackets. Stoke have won a game. I repeat, Stoke have won a game. Jose Gomez and Reading have seemingly abandoned their marriage counselling and lawyered up in preparation for divorce. Stoke have won a game. It's the end all for Stendhal at Oakwell. Stoke have won a game. And Neil Harris has left Millwall. Before we get into the managerial departures, let's start positive and pay tribute to Stoke, who you may have heard, have won a game for the first time since the start of April and their fourth league win of 2019. Uh, Is Nathan Jones' luck finally turning then? They were a goal down a minute into their game at Graham Potter's High Flying Swans, worst tribute act ever, before turning it round to pinch the points in stoppage time. Uh, Jones even named Manager of the Week by the EFL. Next game for Stoke Post break home to Fulham. Then they go to Millwall and Sheffield Wednesday. Adrian, can, mm. he, can they stay up? Can he keep his job? It looks like it, doesn't it? All of a sudden, the, the interview he gave the week before sounded like a resignation. It sounded like he feared he was, he was going to get the bullet. It didn't happen and it seems to have perked him up and, and everybody else. The most interesting quote I read of the week came from Nathan and he said, look, you might have known. I think he was asked something about you. You look more animated on the touchline. You look, you're jumping around. He said, well, "That's what I used to be like when I was at Luton. I, anyone Luton fan will tell you that. I sort of kick every ball. But when I came here into the Championship, I'll be honest. I didn't want to look like people to think I would be a lunatic. Now I think that I reckon that's partly why it's gone so badly for him. Maybe he's been a bit too self-conscious about where he is, the cl- the size of the club he's managing, in the division that he's managing. Maybe he's been too self-aware." He does. He does need to be himself, and and that I think is is the recognition of where perhaps he was going wrong. I think is perhaps the the start of a recovery. The players 
did a great performance at, at Swansea. And it has been fine margins. I, I was looking at some of the stats. They've been levelling games for exactly the same number of minutes as Birmingham City. I think 18 minutes less than Leeds. Yet they've got barely any points and Leeds and Birmingham are, are, are way in the distance. So, so it is fine margins. I do think that, that his moans and groans about, uh, about bad luck have, have been a factor. Sammy's got two big things in his favour, it would seem. The first is he's at Stoke, who like to give managers as, as much rope as possible, as we've seen in the past. And also, surely you can tell from that win on Saturday that the players are still with him, because to go a goal down at a team who look like they're going to be chasing promotion, come back and win it in stoppage time, that shows the right attitude from the squad. Yeah, I think the timing of the game probably helped him. If the, the break had come straight after the Huddersfield game, I don't think we'd probably yeah. be having this conversation. Yeah. It looked like his days were numbered. From his manner after that defeat, uh, we expected him to go. But I think you're bang on what you just said there. And not only being able to recover from going a goal down early, but the yes, it's brilliant to score last minute and uh, and win a game. But the the level of the celebration from the players said to me that they were obviously delighted to get the win, but delighted for the manager as well. So it didn't look like a a, a club that uh, or a group of players that were desperate for a change. And it was a fantastic victory. And Adrian's mentioned the numbers there early part of the season. Obviously, they were creating plenty of chances and there was a fragility about them defensively. Well, that wasn't evident at the weekend. And, and hopefully they can build from there and hopefully... He'll keep his job, which will be brilliant given what's gone the last couple of days. I'd be delighted if he if he turns it around there. Yep, fingers crossed for Nathan. Uh, to the bag-packing managers then, and today shall henceforth be known as Club Statement Day, Millwall wrote... Neil Harris has today stepped down from his role as manager of Millwall Football Club. His assistant, David Livermore, has also departed the den. Harris took over as boss in 2015 and during his time in charge oversaw two trips to Wembley, one promotion and two runs to the FA Cup quarterfinals and has also steadily re-established Millwall as a championship club. His status as a Lions legend, both as its all-time leading goalscorer and now as one of its most successful managers, is secure. Right, compare that heartfelt sentiment to Barnsley's thank you and goodbye note, which didn't contain either a thank you or a goodbye. Barnsley Football Club confirms it's separated from Daniel Stendhal with immediate effect. Adam Murray's been appointed caretaker manager. Uh, we'll start with Stendhal. It's the most recent of the two. A 5-1 walloping at Preston last weekend proved the final straw for the German, whose team hadn't won since opening day. Feels harsh, but to play devil's advocate, uh, his team had been walloped 5-1 and they haven't won since opening day. So it's not entirely... Unexpected, I suppose. It's still the one that surprised me the most. 11 games in, Matt, after a wonderful first season in English football. That said, I saw them against Brentford. And I actually can't remember seeing a defence at that level, current championship, where it's got to, being so disorganised. It was incredible what I was watching. And listen, I've not been a manager. I've, I've coached some uh, under-7 teams and some school teams and stuff like that. But... <laughs> I mean, it was like he sent his players out like lambs to the slaughter in that second half against the very gifted Brentford team who were fantastic on the counter-attack. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, so they haven't got enough defensively-minded midfield players, but he's had the opportunity to alter the, the, the formation, maybe get a third centre-half in there. The problem he's got is I don't think he's got particularly defensively-minded full-backs either. They bomb on. Uh, the left-back was left out to dry in that game against Brentford. So... I spoke about it probably the last couple of weeks about the need to be more prag pragmatic in the setup, and on the back of that, they've been thumped 
by Preston. So I don't understand why he hasn't learnt from that defeat against Brentford. He, he, he must have seen how bad they were in that second half particularly. My view on this is, is quite simple really. He, he had his team decimated. It wasn't him that decided to sell the goalie and the two centre-halves and, and the striker key for more, was it? it? It was the club's decision. The mistake, I guess, is that the players brought in didn't have championship experience and they, it's proven that they're not quite good enough. I'll definitely take Sam's point in terms of could he have organised them better? Could he have adapted to their flaws? He could. He didn't. He's lost his job. But but the bottom line is he had quali- he had a quality team that he'd, he'd constructed and it got broken up. And uh, I think it's really, really harsh. Remember, take into account last year, 39 goals conceded in 46 games. He's not a manager that's known for being leaky. They're the best defensive record in the division. So feels harsh to me. I think, I think with good players, Daniel Stender will come again and be a very successful manager. I know that he's been linked with one of the vacancies that's arisen this week. As for Millwall, not one in the league since the 17th of August. So does that mean it's quite a sort of selfless and good decision from Neil Harris or, or is he just jumping before he's pushed? Um, firstly, I'm sad about it because uh, I really like Neil and I've played with David Livermore at a couple of clubs. So it was strange being there at the weekend and this can get thrown out there probably, but there was a weird mood around the club and they're very emotional, the staff, uh, the press guys, etc. that I spoke to before the game and they're hurting at the moment. So on the face of it, having thought about it for a few days after the announcement, I think it's the right decision for Neil. I think it's the right time. Uh, the fans at Luton, the away game recently, were quite scathing in the second half. And considering what Neil is at that club, I just think it was the right time. You know, that we know they're very passionate and um, the football's not been good this season. And considering he was given a bit of an opportunity, some money to bring in some fresh blood and get rid of those bad eggs at the back end of last season, he did that. And the football has probably gone backwards. And I think that's been the, the criticism. It's always been quite a direct style, but I think caution uh, as well as overrided the attacking intent that you associate with Millwall. So it's difficult when you think about where they're going to go from here because, of course, it can't be tippy-tappy at Millwall, but I think it just has to be more attacking, flooding bodies forward. Yes, you might concede a few, but at least the punters get value for money. Dan's tweeted at the Totally Show who's the best fit for the Millwall job. Clark, you, you want Neil Harris at South End, don't you? Which, <laughs> fanciful is the word that, that sprung to mind. Yeah, he, he's local. He played for the club. It, it would He would be just the ideal kind of manager to, to get them out of their rut. But it sounds to me like he needs a breather. You know, you think you can get stale, can't you? It's, it's an all-consuming job being a football manager. Um, it's probably partly the reason why me and Sam have gone down this route. It's a lot easier than, than being a gaffer. So, no, I don't think that's going to happen. What's the, who's the best fit? For Millwall, Gary Rowett? Well, if you're going to go for the all-out attack, not all-out attack route, the, the, the passionate front foot, especially on home turf approach, I don't know if a Gary Rowett's that guy. He's, he's a cautious manager by nature, isn't he? He's, he's a very good organiser. I think he'd keep plenty of clean sheets. He'd be a good, he'd be a good fit, I suppose, in a lot of respects. The, the, the wild card that's in the betting at the moment, and Joe will confirm this, I'm sure, is... It's Kevin Muscat. Muscat, he's off again. A second straight red card for Kevin Muscat, and he didn't even see a second yellow. It's a straight red for the victory captain. They're down to 10 men. He just flew into that tackle. He's mistimed it horrendously. 
The up and under, he's gone way over the ball. That is dangerous for Musket. When I saw his name, no, but when I saw it, yeah, I, I know. I, I, I was know you scared, scared when I heard the name as well. Yeah, I'm absolutely terrified. Yeah, he was, a, he was a really scary player to play against. He was a, I, don't, I don't think I had the pleasure. But he is a Millwall legend or a folk hero there. Obviously, we know about his fire, but 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 when I looked him up and what he's been doing, he's been a very successful manager over there in in Australia, with Melbourne. He's recently become available. There are worse punts out there, I'd suggest, than Kevin Muscat. Because I just think of Millwall. If you think of all the ninety-two clubs, Millwall had one of the clearest identities, I think, and you. It definitely it's one of those jobs where it helps if you know what it's all about to be in charge of Millwall, to play for Millwall. To, to run Millwall so so with that in mind I think that taking a punt on him might be worth it Did he put you into Rosette a couple of times Muscat? Yeah it must have done yeah um, <laughs> I just wanted to say finally obviously Neil's done an mm. unbelievable job and he's protected his uh, reputation in terms of going and getting another good role I've got no doubts about that but mm. just a word on, on Adam Barrett actually mm. thrown into it probably only had one day on the training ground well mm. Straight away when I saw the team sheet, Tom Bradshaw as a lone striker, it meant that the centre-halves, if the temptation this season and the back end of last season was to just boom it diagonally into the final third, they couldn't do that uh, on Saturday. So they played short into midfield. Bradshaw was probably a 9 out of 10 mm. in that first half. Got fortunate, obviously, for the opening goal and the sending off, which was obviously wrong. But for 45 minutes, that was quite a different mill that I witnessed. So credit him and... He'll come into the running, and and obviously he's linked with a South End job, so he's going to have some big decisions yeah. to make. It's a trial game, then he played a blinder. Yeah. Absolutely, interesting. What, in terms of the odds, then Joe is Adam Barrett in in the running? Is he favourite for the Millwall job? Well, Gary Rowett's the favourite at six to four, quite some way ahead of uh, the the chasing pack. Roy Keane's the second favourite actually at nine to two, uh, although he's, as we'll talk later, also been linked to the. The Sunderland job as well. Adam Barrett's the third favourite at six to one, and then Kevin Musket at nine to one. There, mm. the rest of them are uh, ten to one or bigger. Other names in the mix: Chris Hewton, Tim Cahill, Gareth Ainsworth, Phil Parkinson. But again, he's been highly linked with the the Reading job, and Sol Campbell. What about Barnsley? We've got joint favourites at the top of the Barnsley betting: Bobby Hassel and Neil Redfern, uh, both four to one. Adam Murray. Uh, who's currently in caretaker charge is five to one, uh, third favourite, and then it's ten to one or bigger. So it looks like it's a, a toss-up between those three at the moment. With uh, with other na- similar names again uh, in the mix: Gareth Ainsworth at twelve to one, Neil Harris at twelve to one, Phil Parkinson at twelve to one, uh, Chris Hutton twenty to one. Uh, so a lot of the same names are, are cropping up in all of these. Yeah, markets. I guess the the favourites at the top of that list. A lot of them involved with the club already, academy it's pretty level. Pretty uninspired though, it, isn't it? It isn't great, but but. That job is quite a unique one in that you've got so many young players to work with. They just don't don't sign anyone. Old, you've got this money ball <laughs> thing that they're trying to do yeah. as well. Which yeah, I, I mean, I've always felt with. that that's going to have its own ceiling, and maybe that ceiling is when you get to the championship, you need a bit more a bit a bit more nous. And certainly, you need players with championship experience. I think that Barnsley's problems this this season are have been caused by the board's policy in terms of who they wanted to sell or who they agreed to sell and their continuation. Of the of this, you know, strategy of theirs, where where they have to go so young. Uh, Joe mentioned Reading there. They've probably parted company with Jose Gomez by the time you're listening to this. John Percy of the Telegraph breaking that on Tuesday night. They've only won twice this season. That was against Huddersfield and Cardiff back in August. Reading Football Club can announce that Jose Gomez has left his position as first team manager. 
We would like to sincerely thank Jose for his hard work during his tenure as manager at Reading Football Club and we wish him the very best of luck in his future career. Joe's alluded to it there, Sam. Phil Parkinson feels like a good fit, former former Reading player, should the vacancy arise. Just looking down my list of 75 managers that I <laughs> scribbled down on the train this morning. Kirbishley? Is he in there? Kerbs? No, he hasn't made it, mate. Hasn't made it. Um, well, the, the, the shout seems to be Mark Hughes, doesn't it? Because of Mark Bowen, who came in as technical director back end of last season. And obviously they've got the history, I think, <laughs> 17, 18 years of, of working together. So it, Again, uninspired. Well, it sparked it? a lot of debate. Obviously, um, A.D. Williams, former... Reading captain who now works for BBC Berkshire was putting it out there last night and yeah a lot of doom and gloom about that potential appointment but if Mark Bowen's at that club you'd have to think there's some substance to it I don't know I mean nine games out of 38 I think he's had in charge and obviously did wonderfully well back end of last season to unite the the fan base really and there seemed to be real progression going into this season and he wasn't backed until the last minute of the, the, the transfer window where he has spent quite a large amount of money. And I think we can compare that to clubs across the EFL, really, when they've been given a chance to rebuild after escaping relegation. We expect to see that progress. But it's only been a short time. And I just think they need some continuity at Reading. You know, Stam and, and Clement and now another manager... It's been a revolving door. I'd like to see him back because they were one little finish. Puskas made a mess of one at Bristol City the other day from getting a good point. Well, I think I didn't see a team that are down tools for the manager in that game. I mean, they they, all over Bristol City, a really good Bristol City team at times. They've got a lot of bravery on the ball. They look to to pop it around no matter who they're playing against. Swift and, uh, and it was missing from that game. Ajaria, both excellent additions. Ajaria was was a pick, one of the lone picks, with Miazga and and Boy, who's done okay at times. So I think his recruitment was okay, considering it was last minute. I think when you lose four of your five home games, that's that puts a lot of pressure on yourself, especially when the the ownership probably go to the home games. So that that wouldn't have have helped. I, I feel like it's. A touch harsh. Um, Phil Parkinson would be absolutely the right choice. He's a he's a Reading legend. Definitely lift the place. And having spoken to him, I you know, sat next to him on the quest show not not that long ago. He doesn't want a long break. He was up for a short short break, and then he he was keen on on getting straight back in. And he said, "Look, my children are a bit older now. He lives in York, but he said if if the right job comes up, I'd be prepared to go anywhere. So I'm pretty sure if Reading came knocking, he would he would be very, very keen. Do you do odds on Reading, even though there's somebody still in position, Joe? Uh, yeah, so we, we've kind of prepared the market. It's not on site yet. As soon Vultures. As, as soon as the... Uh, as <laughs> well, no, I feel bad talking about it, to be honest. <laughs> as, if, Jones. If, if, uh, if Reading uh, and, and Gomez do part ways, the odds look like this. Uh, Mark Hughes, 4-6, to six, so odds on already to get the job. John O'Shea. Uh, four to one, second favourite. Phil Parkinson, six to one, and I, I'm very much in agreement that he would be the right man for the job. In my very humble opinion. Mm. Quickly checks Reading Twitter page, having come off Colleen Rooney's. No, no statement <laughs> uh, yet from Reading. So the Championship benefiting from a break. We're going to do likewise and get to League One next. You've heard the podcast. Now read the website, thetotallyfootballshow.com. There you'll find the very best from the podcasts, plus some white-hot original features. 
This week, Nick Miller argued that Daniel Stendel was done wrong at Barnsley. Rafa Honigstein explains why Nico Kovac is bungling the phasing out of Thomas Muller at Bayern. Jesse Parker Humphreys wonders when Big Phil Neville is going to stop being such a massive scaredy cat. And so very much more. That's a totallyfootballshow.com. Find it on the internet. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One then, where there's some wacky goings-on occurring. The headlines include Sunderland and Jack Ross parting company, that following their 2-0 loss to Lincoln. Bergkamp, Larson and Count to become chairboys. Probably not, but those three were supposedly dead set on buying Wickham Wanderers. That Gareth Ainsworth interview Caroline did has really had a bigger effect than we first thought, maybe. Uh, Joey Barton's in court today, Wednesday, charged with ABH after that incident with Daniel Stendhal last season. And Sol Campbell has been interviewed for the South End job. I called this weeks ago. Uh, first things first, though, Sunderland, it's club statement time again. Sunderland AFC announced this afternoon that it had terminated the contract of manager Jack Ross. SAFC Chairman Stuart Donald said, this is a decision that has been made with a heavy heart. When we arrived at the club 18 months ago, we appointed Jack because we felt that he was the right man to take Sunderland forward over a number of years. Jack has worked extremely hard and has helped us achieve stability at the club, and I sincerely thank him for his efforts. I hope and believe he will go on to have a successful career in management. Phil Smith's a journalist for the Sunderland Echo. He's been heard on the Roka Report pod, which he's just recorded, and is frankly far better placed than us to tell you what's going on, uh, geographically and journalistically speaking. So we've got Phil Smith on the line from the Sunderland Echo. Uh, Phil, Jack Ross has gone. Not really a surprise. Maybe the, the, the timing, a little bit of a shock. But uh, what's, what's the reaction from Sunderland supporters been? I think supporters probably for a little while have felt that it's a decision that had to be made. Jack started really well at Sunderland, to be fair. He was a very popular figure. Performance has probably started to dip towards the end of last season. You had the playoff final, a massive missed opportunity Early goal given away by Charlton, if you remember that horrendous own goal. Couldn't take advantage. And so coming into this season, it was almost automatic promotion. They had to get it. They had to show signs early on. They'd learned from their mistakes to improve the team. And unfortunately, in the first kind of 11 games, they're doing okay, as you can see in the table. But he's probably lost that confidence that he could get over the line this season. Phil, of all the names that have been banded around in the last 24 hours, Roy Keane jumps out to me. The reason being, love him or, or loathe him, I would think he's got quite a good reputation amongst the Sunderland supporters considering what he did before. Would you welcome that and do you think the supporters would? Well, I, I certainly would as a journalist for fairly obvious <laughs> reasons. The guy the guy is absolute dynamite. I think if if Roy got the job, I think the, and the wave of excitement would be absolutely incredible. I don't think you can ever really understate what that first season and indeed much of the second season the first year in the Premier League just what it was like under Roy Keane the sense of um, gl- glamour was part of it but general, just general excitement and general sense that okay this is a club that's having a real go here hang on we've got Roy Keane at the helm but it, it, it kind of fits into a wider question I think about where Sunderland are at now in terms of you look at the list of names you mentioned Roy Keane I'm looking at the other names that have been touted so far Daniel Sendall Gareth Ainsworth Phil Partons and Gary Rowett these are all guys with hugely different backgrounds, hugely different styles of play. And what that tells you is that a club at the moment that hasn't quite worked out which direction it wants to go in. Does it want a short-termist, let's get out of this league, whatever, and kind of worry about it after that? Or is it still looking at, right, we want someone who is going to build over a period of time? I'm not sure that inside the club they know the answer to that question yet. And I think that's maybe why at the moment we have this kind of slightly strange mix of candidates who don't seem particularly coherent, if that makes sense. 
Lastly, Phil, what's the latest with this on again, off again takeover? It all seems a bit Rachel and Ross, as in Ross Geller, not not Jack Ross. Is it is it actually going to go ahead? Is the fact that the current regime have got rid of the manager a sign that that maybe it's slowed down or stopped? Well, I think this is is a very very difficult one to unpack. I'd probably need a, a, an entire podcast for it, but I think the simplest way to put it is that the owners of the current owners have always said that they wanted to be involved in the day-to-day running of the club, no matter what happened in terms of bringing anyone else in. So I think you could argue that they'd be capable or in a position to make this decision. Either way, I think it's just a, it's been such a long-term thing because one of the first things Stuart Donald said when he took over the club in his first press conference was, if we're talking about competing with Man City or teams like that, I'm not your guy. I can fund the club at this level, but you know, I'm not the person who can take them to the top 10 of the Premier League. So it's been a constant on-off because there's always been this awareness and there's always been these discussions that Stuart can do so much now, but in the future, some extra help's going to be needed. And he's insisted that it's still very much ongoing. He's still very hopeful. And he said he said that he'll tell fans at the weekend what's going on. And that's going to be a huge, huge moment for the club because you've got to put this managerial search in the wider context of what's happening. And let's make no mistake, whoever comes in is going to have a huge influence on what happens next. And, and the manager's a, a big part of that, whoever it may be. Phil Smith from the Sunderland Echo there. Uh, Anne-Marie Batson asks, Jack Ross sacked from Sunderland a few hours before kickoff, fair or harsh? So this was last night's Leasing.com trophy game against Grimsby. Sam, doesn't really matter if it's before a Leasing.com trophy game, does it? No, of course it doesn't. No, I don't think the timing, timing really matters uh, in relation to this game. His staff, I think it was James Fowler, took the game last night, would have been more than competent at doing that and they got themselves a, a victory and probably... An important goal for, for Will Grigg. McNulty got another one as well. So, yeah, that, that'll do the players some good before the uh, the next game. The writing's been on the wall. Uh, again, I sound like a broken record, but I know Jack a little bit and I know two members of his staff I played with. So, good people, great lads. Um, so, I'm sad that they're potentially going to lose their jobs as well. Um, 60 games, just the seven defeats. Only Manchester City and Liverpool have had fewer since he, he began as Sunderland manager. So, it shows you that they've been hard to beat but they've been too defensive. That's been the criticism from the, from the Sunderland fans and the 23 draws, of course. The majority won once, I would presume. Haven't done him any favours. So, yeah, I think as much as I don't want to say it, it's probably he's probably taken them as far as he can and had enough time now, considering the amount of criticism that's been snowballing amongst the, mm. the Sunderland supporters. Yeah, I've been team Jack, I suppose, all the way through. I, th- I, thought, I thought he deserved longer. He has been too defensive. The numbers don't, don't lie, they've not gone on and won enough games, have they? In terms of shots, shots per game, 17 teams in the division have more shots per game this season than Sunderland. When you, and I, listened, I looked at the statement from Stuart Donald and he basically said we've got the biggest budget, we've got the best facility, everything's the best. So when, you, when, when 17 more teams are having more shots than you and you're six in the league, then you're in trouble, aren't you? And, and that is the reason. He's lost his job. I think that, that you need probably someone slightly more ambitious tactically to come in and take that job um, because the players are good enough to get promoted. I said at the start of the season it'll be Ipswich and Sunderland. I still think it'll be Ipswich and Sunderland, providing Sunderland choose wisely now. 
How about Wickham then? Uh, David Ornstein, the Athletics' latest signing, wrote a piece this week claiming that Dirk Count, Dennis Bergkamp and Henrik Larsner club together to buy Wanderers, even adding Ronald Koeman as a consultant. However, the club decided they preferred a bid from American businessman Rob Coffig, and that's in the process of being examined by the Wickham Supporters Trust with Gareth Ainsworth warning of potentially dire consequences for the club if new investment isn't forthcoming soon. Uh, we hope they get sorted one way or another quickly. What is it, though, with this trend of ex-players getting involved with clubs at a level we haven't really seen before? The class of 92 at Salford is the one that sticks out. Uh, you've got Beckham with Inter Miami, etc. Um, is it just the fact that these top-end players from the last 10, 15 years are much, much wealthier <laughs> than their predecessors so they can afford to do this? Yeah, I think it's a big part of that. Oh, yeah. And it's an attractive proposition, isn't it, to be in charge and, and mould something from... From, from from nothing from you know the lower reaches of the the English ladder but I mean Wickham's obviously the proximity to London's always going to be an attractive one it's a brilliant club love playing there mm. love playing for them and, and love going back there so I can see the appeal because it would be an easy commute and um, it'd be a nice place to live they are in dire need of a bit of help I think Gareth's been pretty open about that even when he was linked with that Lincoln role he was very vocal that Wickham need some support, some financial support if they're going to maintain what they're doing at the moment, which is magnificent. And and on the pitch, they keep amazing us with their powers of recovery because it can't be a, a fluke that the the players don't get deterred when they go behind in games against good teams, top teams in that division. Uh, the most recent one, Peterborough, who a lot of teams have crumbled when they've been put under pressure, especially by that front three that they've got. So uh, wonderful result last time out. And you know, no surprise that, you know, Wickham will continue to have people look at them as a, uh, as a nice proposition. All right. If we look ahead to some of the weekend standout fixtures, then Blackpool versus Rotherham. What a difference a takeover makes. Blackpool as a club and a team unrecognisable from last season. They start the weekend in fourth Blackpool looking for promotion. They've got a manager who knows what this kind of level of football is about in Simon Grayson. Bloomfield Road is approaching full again. It all feels very calm and, and very positive. Well, I think the table looks good, but I don't think the recent performances have been brilliant. Um, I don't think the Blackpool fans have been that excited by the levels, especially not at, at Bolton the other day. I persevered for about 15 minutes. Um, defensively, very good. Um, Tilt, who... It's been a bit inconsistent this season. Hill and Hennigan seem to be fantastic defensively and they've gone to a back four after starting the season with a back five. So that's a real positive from the other night. Missing Delfonso, missing Kai Kai, lads that we spoke about start of the season. That trio with Nanjale looked like they were going to be a real force. So they're a bit one-dimensional into Nanjale at the moment. bit pedestrian in midfield. So I don't think things have been brilliant. But of course, you look at the table and you look at Simon Grayson's track record across a season, you hope that they can have a successful time. And I think this weekend is going to be a very difficult game against Rotherham, who Adrian's going to talk about back to basics during a a wonderful comprehensive victory against Coventry last time out. Always kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, I think, Rotherham. Not quite good enough for the championship. Maybe a bit too good for League One. How, how are they faring back in the um, It's been a mixed bag. I think that, that that much is fair to say. Going into this game, you have to say that the form book says they're both a bit mid tabley But ultimately, I suspect they will be challenging for the, for the playoffs. I tipped up Rotherham, Rotherham at the start of the season. So I'm a bit disappointed by the way they've, they've started. 
they've got good depth though, really good depth under Warren, um, who changed, who made a lot of changes for that win against Coventry. He shook up the team, he changed the system. He's been a four-three-three man. He went four-four-one-one, which isn't a whole lot different. But he had Crooks behind Smith, sort of benched Ladapo, which would have taken a bit bit of guts on his part. And and yeah, look, when they get going, Rotherham, they can be really, really powerful. And blow teams away. We saw that against Bolton. We saw it against Coventry. And Coventry, who we have bigged up, I've, I've noticed what's creeping into their game is that they, they take so many chances at the back. Um, they're going gift to char- gift you opportunities. And, and Rotherham made, made the most of that. So, no, you, you look at the team. They've got good young wide players now as well with um, Wiles and, and Hasty or Hasty, who's come in uh, from north of the border, who's looked good. Uh, and they've got competition for places up top. So, no, I, I think Rotherham going into this game feeling much better about themselves than, than Blackpool do, which which makes it really interesting. Portsmouth take on Gillingham at Fratton Park. Pompey have had two big wins, albeit not hugely impressive against Bolton, and then of the last gasp at variety at Doncaster. Sam, are those wins what's kept the jacket on? Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, should have been beaten at Doncaster. I think if Doncaster had a, a centre-forward, I think Sadlier played up top, who scored a couple of goals first weeks of the season for, for Doncaster, but he's not an out-and-out striker. They were missing Ennis at one end and, and Cameron John, the, the two lads from Wolves, who have done brilliantly. I think if they were in the side, Portsmouth could have been talking about another defeat. So, again, it was defensively where they impressed. I just look at, at Portsmouth, I don't know about you, Adrian, mm. and this has been... My point of view, probably for the last 18 months, I just see a team that lacks a bit of a spark. And I look at some of the other teams at the top end of, uh, of League One and they excite me a little bit more. They'll hope that this change is now harnesses back from injury, who was really promising first few weeks of the season. But it's um, a very organised team. It's a, a team that's going to grind out a lot of results, but they're not going to win too often comprehensively. So... They'll be delighted to have got that goal from Harrison late on. And he was on for, for Marquis at halftime. We're just waiting for, for Marquis to get a bit of consistency as well. So I don't see the speculation about Kenny Jacket going away, especially given what's happened in the last week. So Gillingham played Ipswich in the, I'm going to call it the EFL trophy because I've said leasing.com like 500 times <laughs> in the last 24 hours. All I can think about is stuff that I want to lease. Uh, yeah, they met on Tuesday. It was a match notable for the pre-match beef between the two bosses. Steve Evans and Paul Lambert might both be from Glasgow, but it seems that's where the common ground ends. They fell out during the league meeting earlier in the season. And whilst Evans said he'd share a glass of wine with Lambeau post-match, the Ipswich boss said, don't expect me to shake his hand. Um, whose side do you want, Adrian? He asked sarcastically. Oh, 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 Lambert all day long. Yeah, look, Steve Evans can have a row with anyone, can't he? I'd, look, that I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I would hazard a guess that their initial fallout may have been sparked by something that Steve Evans said or did on the touchline. Therefore, I'm, I'm team, team Lambo. You feel like uh, Steve Evans is very much the Rebecca Vardy in this, uh, this breakup. <laughs> it's the best article I've read this season. I think them um, arguing about who's from the, 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 the worst <laughs> Glasgow suburb. Genius. I'm going to give it a bit of balance because um, Steve Evans gave 250 quid to the um, South End supporters, the charity, I've who'd worked from, who'd walked from Roots Hall to Priestfield before their game. Yeah. And he was very nice about the young man who missed the two penalties as well. And Jolly, I believe he is on loan from Bournemouth. And uh, Steve Evans uh, said that he would uh, back him to the hilt, basically, and he'll be in the team next time out. So it's Mellowin. He's got, uh, he's got 
some portion in, of a heart. In fairness, <laughs> when I have met, I have met him before. I've had to work with him. And had he was, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a little bit scared because I've been quite scathing of him in the past. But thankfully, I don't think he's read or listened to to my criticism of him. I was so two faced. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was actually really softly spoken and quite and very calm um, in a, in a sort of media environment it was on a radio show and he, he was he was perfectly nice so yeah he's, he's obviously got that side to him <laughs> but yeah i just wonder who'd win in a fight really out of, out of lambert and uh, and evans I, I think lambert's got that got enough steel probably more size about him I'd imagine i think i think i would take lambert yeah, kick, to kick beat evans, evans in the swingers and run away and yeah i think gonna I, catch it. I would think that lambert's like a five mile run round yeah. uh, Suffolk before training yeah. Steve Evans isn't doing that <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not quite Clough versus Revy but it's quite funny um, producer Abby rightfully asking this serious question mm. who would win between Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy in a fight let's exclude Rebecca Vardy's pregnancy she's in a normal state who's pregnant sorry uh, Vardy is she's not for the fight oh, she looks quite feisty but I've got to back Colleen if she used to she probably met Wayne at a boxing club, didn't she? In a Liverpool suburb. <laughs> what? Probably. He was a boxer, wasn't he? Rooney, when he was. Yeah, old, fa- old family were boxers. Yeah, old family. Yeah. She probably met yeah. him out. You know what I mean? She's probably. She's only yeah. Diddy, don't she? I've got back Colleen there. Oh, look, Rebecca Vardy just looks hard. <laughs> just looks hard. I, yeah, I, I, I'm I, with you, yeah. I wouldn't fancy myself yeah. against Rebecca Vardy, let alone Colleen Rooney. So I'm. I'm <laughs> Astonishing insight. I mean, if you're listening, British Podcast Award judges, um, that's, a, that's the clip we're sending in this year. Um, you doing odds on that, Joe? I think Vardy we versus Rooney. Um, we should do. Uh, if not that, how about the Sunderland managerial well, what, market? Wayne versus Jamie. Ooh, man, that's uh, a tough call, isn't it? Oh, that's that. I think that's impossible. Rooney, to call. Rooney all day. That really? Yeah. Oh, oh no. Vardy. I Vardy be relentless. I think, I think Jamie would would would. would Resort to dirty tricks, yeah. wouldn't he? It's a 12-rounder yeah. unless Vardy gets disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Sunderland manager, who's it going to be? Well, uh, one name that Phil didn't touch upon, he, he named a load of names that have been linked with the job, but one he didn't touch is the actual favourite, Paul Cook, uh, current Wigan manager. Mm-hmm. Big gamble on him this morning, actually. He's gone from 20-1 to 1 into 7-4. to 4. If you kind of look what he did with Wigan mm-hmm. in 2017-18... They certainly weren't cautious, were they, when they uh, stormed to the, the title in League One. So I, I, I can see where the money's coming from uh, with regards to that. But yes, all the same names again. Gareth Ainsworth, 7-2. to Daniel Stendhal, 6-1. to uh, Kevin Phillips, 12-1. to Roy Keane, 14-1. to And Big Sam, 14-1 to as well. <laughs> no. For the, for, for the purposes of narrative for Sunderland Till I Die Season 2, it should be the return of Chris Coleman, though. That would make a beautiful story. <laughs> I guess so. I'd, okay, he yeah. can stay in China. Um, how about South End? Uh, uh, one tip that I seem to have got right, which I deserve a, a fair amount of praise for, is, is Sol Campbell. Is he the favourite for the South End job now? Yeah, I think when, when the, the job first became available, I think he was about 12 to 1 when you tipped him up. Uh, he's now 6 to 4, so you'd be, uh, you'd be sitting very pretty on that bet uh, for sure. Adam Barrett, uh, we've already mentioned him. He's 13 to 8, second favourite. Henrik Larsson on the drift. Three to one, third favourite, and then it's eight to one or bigger. Uh, well, Neil Harris eight to one, and then twenty to one or bigger. Adrian, yeah. you've got your hand in the air. Yeah. I'm thinking you're what sixty six to one. <laughs> like no, I don't think I'm there. Um, I actually I, I turned down an invite to be there. 
to be like a, the the player, the former player guest this weekend. Couldn't make it unfortunately. Um, so so that was a shame. I hope they invite me on another game. Would have gone on to go on the pitch and everything. Quite exciting. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you've been on the I, pitch I, before, right? I you know, did, but not for him. not for a long time. <laughs> and I'd got a free dinner. Um, no, I was up for it, but I just couldn't just couldn't make it. Anyway, um, I've done a bit of digging. Uh, with my contacts around the area and they just suspect that there's a bit more to it this this dragged out search for a new manager the, 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 the growing fear is that Ron Martin is looking for investment and that, that there isn't really enough money with him to, to move the club forward so so part of the search for a new manager is tied in with which investors he can he can get on board for the club moving forward. So so that I think goes some way to explaining why it's taking so long. It's damaging the team. I mean the team morale is is at a real low at the moment. They're, they're playing very very poorly. Same mistakes happening game in game out. Personally, uh, uh, Campbell or Barrett would be more than happy with that. All this South End chat week to week. Anyone would think the boss of this company was a South End supporter. And <laughs> um, before we leave League One, Joe, the games we've talked about: Blackpool versus Rotherham. I was thinking home win, but now I've heard what the chaps have said. What's the price on on Rotherham taking the points? Well, Blackpool are slight favourites, um, but it's very very close in the betting. Blackpool six to four, Rotherham seven to four with the draw, twelve to five. Pompey Gillingham. Portsmouth odds on to win this one at seven to ten. Gillingham four to one, and the draw twenty-seven to ten. So nearly three to one there. Well, that was a nice time in League One, wasn't it? Will League Two be so accommodating? Only one way to find out. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football League Show from Money Knees Media. League Two behind the curve in terms of managerial axings. Is that a word axings doesn't have a squiggly red line under it on my screen. So yes. Uh, here are your headlines. Apparently a 2-2 draw with Scunthorpe is horrendous if you're Plymouth Argyle and Ryan Lowe is to be believed. Lowe post-match said, I think it was a disgusting game. I didn't like it one bit from start to finish. FGR topped the league, but just three points cover the top six teams. Also, Stevenage still haven't won a league match, but they did win in the Leasing.com trophy on Tuesday. That's Leasing.com. Seeing as a no sackings, let's head straight to the weekend's action. Swindon versus Plymouth. Sam, uh, I watched the meeting of these two in the aforementioned internet website higher purchase thing trophy <laughs> yeah. uh, last night and Plymouth absolutely schooled your old mob. I know it's essentially reserve sides in this competition, but does that have any impact on the game on Saturday other than the fact that you can't, if you played last night for Swindon, go to Richie Wellens and say, right then, I'll have a place in the team on Saturday. Yeah, that's the, the biggest talking point is that the lads that have been knocking on the door and, and been walking around the training ground Annoyed that they're not getting regular game time. Had a chance last night, and that was, I've heard Richie Wellens' comments this morning, that was his team talk. Go out there, express yourself, no pressure. None of them have given him a decision to make at the weekend, but it's eight or nine changes, so there's not much relevance. Uh, it's a defensive crisis at Swindon. Zakawani's come in as a, a free agent and was good at Bradford last time out, but a big part of their success this season put aside what the front players have done, Yates and Doyle, Isgrove, been magnificent. But Baudry and Dion Conroy, good ball-playing centre-halves, which find good passes into midfield to, to, to release that talent. So it's a huge problem. I understand young Iandolo had a bit of a chastening experience up at Valley Parade at left-back as well. So Zeki Fries could come back in there. 
They're hopeful Baudry could be fit at the weekend, which will give them a much better opportunity against a, a stuttering Plymouth side. But if you'd have said to me after the Leighton Orient victory for Swindon a few weeks ago when they looked like mm. a top three team, no question that they'd be having this um, this stumble, I would have been very surprised. But I think there is um, defensive factors, clearly. Plymouth, Clarkey, really good last night. Sarsovic in particular caught my eye, but it's not been the start to the season that we were anticipating from from one of, if not the promotion. Favorite. No, I think they've, a lot of mistakes have crept into their game, giving some bad goals away. Um, some of the marking inside the box from crosses has been poor. There's an awful one at the weekend from a from a goal kick. So I, I think individuals have had lapses rather than it being disastrous. They've, they've got a lot of talent. Plymouth Argyle, I think they've got 13 different goal scorers already this season. So it's not as if they're reliant on on one or two players. And and it was interesting that Ryan Lowe sort of threatened to wield the axe, didn't he? In January, he's, he's come out and said, look, if it doesn't get better, I'm not afraid to, to get rid of three or four in January and bring three or four in because we need to go up. He, he's, he's speaking very boldly. And that, I think, is probably good news for Plymouth. It, it, it might be the shake-up. That they need this. This has got a look of a good, good football match. Two two teams that like to have the ball. Well, Swindon are very good on the ball, but they're actually sometimes better when they break, aren't they? So, so I would expect Plymouth to pr- probably uh, boss the line, share a possession in this game, um, press Swindon back. But Swindon will pose that that danger on the break. So I think this is a really attractive game to to watch. And if I lived in that part of the world and I had a bit of time to kill, I might I might buy a ticket for this one. Let's go on to Leighton Orient Walsall. While we're with you, Clarky, you were going to tell us all about Walsall last week, but time got the better of us, so the, the well, floor is yours. Well, it's a very different picture, isn't it? Because they lost to Salford 3-0 at home, which which was off the back of a, of a great win at Crawley the, the week before. And I, I was going to talk about the wide player, Wes McDonald, last week, who had drawn great praise from Daryl Clark. He's a winger and, and, you know, I always look out for wingers and I like wingers to, to, to do well. Um, but but having been one myself, I also know that just inconsistency is just par for the course. And and one week you can be the the king, you can be praised in the papers. It happened to me. I remember Alvin Martin. One week I think he said, told the papers that that you know I was too good for League One. That you know they do well to hang on to me. And literally two weeks later, I was on the bench. <laughs> and this is the life of a winger. And and and, and Wes McDonald, who had been brilliant against Crawley didn't turn up in the game uh, against Salford and he got the hook before the hour mark and it, it, it just it just struck a chord with me for me Walsall are a team at the moment that are better on the road at home for whatever reason that they clam up not particularly creative but away from home where they are solid I think that that was an anomaly the defeat to Salford they're pretty solid by and large so 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 I, I would quietly fancy Walsall to to bounce back in this game and, and nick something, certainly a draw at least. Orient, Sam, a club you represented, not that that's particularly rare. Um, <laughs> what's going on? I mean, are they actually going to appoint a manager at, at some point? I'll have a better idea after the weekend because I'm going down there and obviously I worked with Martin Ling, uh, not particularly successfully, and um, I know Ross Embleton as well. So I'm sure that will be discussed at the weekend. They won at Northampton. So maybe that's just put the brakes on a little bit with making a decision. Martin Ling sounded like he had it all in hand, was going to meet a few people, whittle it down to a short list, and then it was going to go to the hierarchy. So I'm sure that's in the process at the moment. On the pitch, the thing that jumps out to me is lots of different systems, 
quite a contrast in the way they're being set up. I mean, he played a 3-4-1-2 last week against Port Vale at home, 4-3-3 at Northampton. So, you know, there's quite a lot of changes going on there, but, you know, they picked up a couple of really good results. And the two lads who have impressed me, not always from the start, but Jordan Maguire-Drew and Louis Dennis, both on the bench at Northampton. So I thought they were the main game changers, but they found a way to win. James Brophy getting the goal. Mm-hmm. Matt Harold reintroduced to the to the fray. He's only made two starts this season. Mm-hmm. It's meant Connor Wilkinson going wide. But I think it just shows that there's probably more depth there than maybe we first realised. And the pattern of the season so far says to me that Orient are going to be okay. They're going to be able to get enough victories to be away from the relegation zone. But be interesting to see how they go at the weekend against the Walsall team, who I don't think having thought they were going to be brilliant defensively Mm. and not score enough goals, it's kind of flipped on its head the last couple of weeks. So Mm. it's very confusing looking at them. I would see that potentially being a draw. Mm. Joe, manager odds for Orient. A couple of people I want to ask you about price-wise who've caught my eye. Uh, They are Kevin Nolan, our friend Chris Powell and Stephen Constantine, who I hadn't heard of until I looked at it this morning. He had four years in charge of India. He's also been manager of Rwanda, Sudan and Malawi. Oh, right. Good no. side. No. Oh, well, wow. <laughs> it'll be, be well uh, prepared for East London. <laughs> the Leighton Orient manager odds, it looks like a, a toss-up between two. Derek Adams and Colin Calderwood lead the betting 5-6 to six and 6-4. to four. Um, Other names, Kevin Nolan, 16-1. to one. Uh, Darren Curry. Nine to one played there for a, uh, quite some time, and Sol Campbell twenty to one. <laughs> Phil Parkinson twenty to one. That's a weird. We just signed I a mean, new contract I mean, with Cambridge. And he's he? d- Cambridge United. Lots and lots of positives I'm seeing for Cambridge United this season. He's, he's definitely improved them. Surely he wouldn't he wouldn't jump ship. I think Derek Adams is is a pretty good shout for that job. What about the odds on the actual game then, Joe Orient versus Walsall? Uh, Orient are favourites to win this one, five to four. Uh, Walsall eleven to five, and the draw twenty-three to ten. And Swindon Plymouth presumably last night doesn't impact the odds. No, not at all. Uh, Swindon are favourites to win this one, eleven to ten. Plymouth twenty-three to ten, and the draw thirteen to five. But yeah, it, it should be a corker that one. All right, once again, we're out of time. Just enough of it left, though, to squeeze in what's rapidly becoming the most underwhelming feature of the show. What's Clarky up to this weekend? <laughs> it's got to be something good if you turn down well, South End. I've, t- well, I've, t- I've turned down everything this weekend because I need a breather. I'm not doing my radio show this weekend. I'm having a bit of family time, so um, which is much needed, I think. So we might end up Thomas Land. <laughs> Really? Rock and roll. Uh, it's quite near to me. Are you expecting it to be better than Peppa Pig World? Well, I'll compare and contrast and report back next week. For clarity, is Thomas the Tank Engine, presumably? Of course. Yeah. Thomas Frank. So. <laughs> Drayton Man. It's in the Midlands. All right. I watched one of the, uh, the new Thomases for the first time uh, the other day with my son, who's just about able to watch TV. Not having it at all. Not a patch on the old school. You, you, you no got, fat controller. Didn't even see Henry. Poor. You've got to move with the times, Matt. Mm. See, you can't You can't live in the past. Things move on. No Ringo Starr, no party for me. Uh, Sam, you are at Brisbane Road. Yeah, Orient on Saturday. I click into gear when it's international break. You know what I mean? That's when I step up <laughs> and give everything for the cause. Uh, Orient Saturday, Coventry Sunday. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Mind-blowing stuff, guys. Uh, more of the same next week. I should expect so. See you then. 
You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter, and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.